1974, Sweden became the first country to change its maternity leave policy to a parental leave one. Since then, Sweden has led a push for up to 16 months of paid leave to be available to both parents, regardless of gender. Here in Australia, we know that the picture looks very different. Welcome to Baby Lab. This is a podcast exploring the nuts and bolts of how babies learn to talk. So why are we talking about parental leave? Well, in this episode, we're talking less about the little babies and more about the parent factor. How does a parent's emotional well-being, stress levels and availability affect how a baby learns to communicate and develop? Should we be taking more time off work? And what role does postnatal depression play in a baby's speech development? We're going to find out that and a whole lot more in just a moment. You're listening to Baby Lab, a podcast series from Babyology and Western Sydney University discovering what science can tell us about what's really going on in the heads of our newborns. My name's Jamila Rizvi, and I'm an author and commentator. But most importantly, for today's purposes, I am mum to three-year-old Ruffy. There's a lot of talk about the politics of who stays home to look after children and the effect that that might have, particularly on mum's career if she is the primary carer. But new studies show that this gender imbalance in child-rearing could also be having an impact on how the babies develop. I know for my family, it was really important for my husband and I that we both took time off work in those early months and had that space to bond with our little boy. We also wanted to value each other's work equally. I know, though, that in this country, that's actually quite unusual. Research indicates that mums feel pressured to go back to work earlier than they might like, and that only 2% of dads take up the government's paid parental leave scheme. This leaves women to play the role of primary caregivers for newborn children in most families. In a country like Australia, we generally have mums who are still the primary caregiver, especially in that first six months if they're being breastfed. Yes, mum has to be because dad can't really do that. New studies show that this gender imbalance could also be having an impact on how our babies develop. Yeah, so I'm Crystal Lamb Cassatari. I'm an infant researcher at the Marks Baby Lab. One of the most recent studies that I've been doing is looking at the contribution of mothers compared to fathers. And so we were sending out little recording devices and it was taking recordings of the whole day that the baby was at home to check how many words mums were saying and how many words dads were saying and how many conversations mums and dads were having with their babies. Based on previous studies, Krista knew already that there was a direct correlation between the amount of language being spoken to a baby and how many words that baby could recognise and speak by the age of 18 months. But what she is focusing on here is the quality of that input. Does a variety of voices affect a baby's language acquisition? And what if a baby is getting almost all of its daily language interactions just with mum because dad's off at work? And what we're finding is that the quantity of speech that the dad provides is actually really important. So the more speech that dads provide to their babies at six months of age, 
the bigger the child's vocabulary is at 12 months. And we're not exactly sure yet. Like We, we can't um, understand what causes it, but we know that there is definitely a relationship, that the more speech that the baby hears and the more speech from the dad at the moment, um, the bigger their receptive vocabulary. So the more words that the babies understand when they're 12 months of age. Now, the families involved in this study consisted of those with a mum, dad and a baby. But of course, the findings could suggest a similar outcome with other family structures, where the X factor is provided by the increased input of the non-primary caregiver. So in all of these families, the dad isn't the primary caregiver, so they are only playing with them for a smaller amount of time. Um, And so what we're wondering is during the time that the dads are playing with the babies, they they might be doing something a little bit different to what the mums are doing. So dads sometimes are, are a little bit, I don't know if you should say exciting, because mums are really exciting when we play with kids, but they just play differently. They roughhouse a little bit more, and I think maybe it just stands out. So they need maybe more variability. You know, if dads are providing more speech, then they're getting more speech as a whole because they're getting mum's speech plus dad's speech. And the more words that they're using during those moments when they are with their babies, the better it is for their babies. But the other thing that we're finding is that the more words that mums and dads use, the more times the baby tries to make vocalizations back to them. So there's also a relationship between that, that if parents talk a lot to their babies, then their child is going to have more attempts at babbling back to them which is really important because the more the baby babbles, the more practice they have at joining in conversations and at using their voice. And if I keep making these sounds, then mum or dad keeps talking back to me. And that's developing early social relationships as well as their vocabulary. That benefit seems to directly support the argument for increased paternity leave opportunities. Those opportunities would help fathers or non-primary caregivers as well as mothers to spend time with their new young children. There are arguments, obviously, for more maternity leave, but I think we should also include paternity leave in that because in Australia we don't have fantastic paternity leave. I mean, dads get two weeks off and we're still building the case for mums getting adequate maternity leave, but there are other countries where dads get paternity leave arrangements and one of those countries is Sweden. Ah, Sweden. Compared to Australia, it actually sounds like heaven only it wasn't so cold. The different approach in Sweden provides an interesting opportunity to run the same study over there and maybe figure out what it is about the dad factor that is improving a baby's ability to learn language. So we're doing it in Sweden as well and at the moment they're finding the same as we are that early on in that first year of life at six months that the amount of speech that dads provide is related to their child's vocabulary at 12 months but we're wanting to see what happens beyond that when dads start taking a a bigger role in caring for their children. It's common in Swedish families that mum is likely to go back to work and then dad takes time off to be the primary caregiver. So mums typically take the first six months off, um, especially if they're breastfeeding, and then dads will take the second six months off. And so dads might be the ones that are at home from six to 12 months. So we're not sure whether um, the pattern will change so that what's special about dads is that they're a bit of a novelty. Um, If 
that's the hypothesis and that's why the more speech that dads provide to their babies, the better their vocabulary, then that finding will wash out in the Swedish families when dad becomes the primary caregiver and they kind of get used to him being around a bit more and he's not such a novelty because he's there all day every day. We'll find a difference between the Australian and the Swedish data. In Australia, however, it is still mostly mums who are relied on to take up the role of being primary caregiver to young babies. And I know that it can be an incredibly stressful and isolating time. A lot of my early memories of looking after Ruffy when he was a newborn are incredibly lonely. In those early days when I was having a particularly tough time, it always felt like Ruffy kind of knew. If I hadn't had enough sleep or I was particularly grumpy one day, his behaviour followed suit. It was like he picked up on what I was putting down. And the research definitely backs my intuition up. So if you um, record someone speaking in a happy tone of voice and someone speaking in a neutral tone of voice, then babies can definitely tell the difference between this and they will listen longer to someone who's speaking in a really happy tone of voice. If a parent is giving them fun and playful infant-directed speech, then you're encouraging a secure attachment, which means that their emotional development is going to be better as well, not just their language development. But mums aren't happy all the time. No one is happy all the time. And just like adults, babies are sensitive to the emotional states of the people around them. Babies do pick up on people feeling anxious, they pick up on people feeling depressed, um, and certainly if you're not feeling great, the way you're interacting with your baby might differ as well. In the early months and years of a new baby's life, we're so focused on their developmental milestones that as parents, we often forget about ourselves. Of course, being born and learning to walk and talk and live outside the womb, they're all pretty big tasks. But so is learning to be a parent. We're so focused on their developmental milestones that we rarely flip the focus around to give ourselves, the new parents, the same kind of scrutiny. After the break, we'll find out about the effects of postnatal depression and how the stress of having a premature baby can affect a baby's development. When a premature baby is born, they typically have to spend some extra time in hospital until they're ready to go home. In Australian hospitals, it's really rare, if ever, that you can actually stay in the hospital with your baby. So the baby is in a unit, you can visit for times of the day, but you can't stay in with your baby. So there's this separation between parent and infant, and this is quite distressing. Dr Karen Mattock from Western Sydney University saw that this was one of the main differences between mums with preterm and full-term babies and how they managed the transition to parenthood. Not being able to spend lots of time with, with your baby, get your baby on a feeding schedule, try and breastfeed the baby, but then you're not around the baby and all these things you know, facilitate bonding. So mums find this a very distressing experience. And the staff at the neonatal units are amazing. And, you know, mums report knowing that they are helping and in many ways, you know, the lifeline for their baby. 
but it feels strange for many of them because the nurses and the doctors are almost the the primary care of the baby. So while they're eternally grateful to these people for saving their child and keeping their baby healthy, they feel that their role as a mother is disrupted for a period of time. Dr Karen Mattock began her research focusing on maternal well-being after a personal experience led her to realise firsthand just how important support for new parents really is. Actually, my interest in this came from my own experience. So I have a daughter and she's now a healthy nearly seven-year-old, but she was born eight weeks premature and it was a shock. She just came early. I guess she wanted to, to meet me sooner rather than later. But having a, a premature baby made me think that it would be really interesting to study mums and to listen to their experiences and dads as well. We've done some work with dads on how they transition to parenthood after having a premature baby. And many report higher levels of anxiety and stress, sometimes depression as well. That is why it is so critically important that friends and families and people in the community keep checking in with new parents, not just in those first early weeks when everyone's paying you attention, but keep checking in. Go back. Make sure that your mates are okay. So postnatal depression is possible for any any mum, um, but the incidence is higher in mums of preterm infants. The stressful experiences that they've had in the transition to motherhood of this child has led them to be more susceptible. And I think with, with a premature infant, the focus is often so much on the infant that even the mum, if she's feeling anxious or stressed or depressed, won't seek help for herself because she's very busy looking after her baby that needs her. Babies are like little sponges. They want to soak up everything around them to learn everything they can about the world. And this is why a focus on maternal well-being is not just important for mum, but also to make sure that the baby has the best chance to develop normally. Babies do pick up on people feeling anxious. They pick up on people feeling depressed. Um, and certainly if you're not feeling great, the way you're interacting with your baby might differ as well. So... Your speech when you're talking to your baby is less likely to be infant-directed style. So there's a lot of research showing that mums who are depressed don't use baby talk in the same way. So they don't have the same pitch modifications. Um, they don't convey emotion in the voice as much. In other words, their speech is depressed as well. The speech isn't as interesting or as engaging to them. Okay, so they may not be attending to the speech as much, which means that they may not be picking up as much about the language from the way the mum is speaking. You know, to learn language, you need to have consistent exposure and experience with it. And there's a lot of evidence to show that parents that speak more to their baby, so directly to their baby, not just having their baby in the room, hearing other people talk around them, but that direct quality interaction is the prime way that babies are learning language. And the koalas, you love the sheep. There's, there's studies that have shown that you know, parents that speak less to their, to their children, years later their children have poorer language development and poorer language outcomes at school. But also that kind of happy speech is facilitating bonding between mother and baby too.
Sometimes the stress of having a premature baby can stay with you beyond the baby stage and into infancy and toddlerhood, even into school. It's common for parents of preterm kids to feel anxious about whether their child will catch up to the milestones of their peers. For infants that are born premature, at least in the first couple of years, um, they're likely to be behind on reaching their milestones. But if you correct their age, they'll be performing more at the corrected age. So let's say, for example, you had a six-month-old who was born two months early. They would be behaving and acting more like a four-month-old. But having a, a premature baby, and this is me as a developmental psychologist, <laughs> doing all the things I shouldn't be doing, like comparing my child to how the full-term baby is developing. And even though that rational research, a part of my brain was saying, you know, I shouldn't be doing this, it's really hard not to do it as a parent. It's the parent instinct that overrides that. But they will catch up. Definitely they will catch up. It just may take them a little more time. That's it for this episode of Baby Lab, a babyology podcast produced in collaboration with Western Sydney University. If you've been enjoying this podcast, then you should let other people know about it. The best way to do that is to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, if you're interested in finding out more about any of the research or issues that we've discussed in this episode, please head to our website babyology.com.au slash podcasts or you can find us on Facebook. My name is Jamila Rizvi. Until next time. Baby Lab is hosted by me, Jamila Rizvi. The series is produced and edited by Caitlin Gibson and Tim Ritchie is head of podcast. The Baby Lab team would love to hear from you. In the final episode of this podcast series, we'll be answering your questions. Have you ever stared at your baby late at night and wondered what on earth is going on inside that tiny head of theirs? Do you have a burning science question about your baby or babies in general? Email babylab at babyology.com.au and stay subscribed for the final episode eight where your questions will be answered by an expert.